Welcome to Coffee Talk with Linda. I'm Linda Davis. Thank you for joining me today. A little bit about myself before we get started. I love Jesus. I love coffee. And I love sharing both. So go grab your cup and let's talk. We are going to jump into the book of Jonah today. The story of Jonah and the whale. I don't think that I have ever taught on this before and really even studied it. I've heard the story. I know he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. I know he tries to run from God. That doesn't quite work out like it never will when we try to turn our back on what God has for us. He ends up in the whale's belly. He ends up getting spewed out. And then he ends up obeying God. God gives him a second chance to turn back and do what he didn't want to do when God first spoke to him. And we, a lot of times, tend to think when God has us turn back for something, that it's a bad thing, that it's defeat, that it's failure, right? We're always told, look ahead, remember... Remember, look ahead to things. Don't remember the former things. Don't go back. But sometimes there's something back there we need to turn to. Truthfully, Jonah is assigned a task that, number one, he feels is much bigger than him. Number two, he doesn't really agree with what God's going to do. And number three, he doesn't think the people God is sending him to deserve the message God wants him to bring. They don't deserve the work God is desiring to accomplish in Nineveh. That's pretty powerful, all wrapped up into one thing. We always have to yield to what God's telling us to do, and he will always give us another chance to do just that. And it may be through a storm. It may be some kind of intervention to cause us to shift from the path of running that we maybe didn't even realize was a path of running back to what God told us to do or where God had us to be, where he was establishing our hands, our feet, our work, our presence. God will bring us back to a place of failure. And I'll even say this, a place of failure maybe in our eyes, because we're having to go back to it, we look at it as a place of failure. Maybe it just wasn't a place of fulfillment. Now, don't miss that one. He's not bringing us back to a place of failure. He's bringing us back to a place of fulfillment that was not met. And he's certainly not bringing us back to any place so we can fail again. But he's bringing us back to fulfill his purpose in that time or to overcome something, right? Turn with me real quick to Romans 8.37 if you have your Bibles handy. One of my all-time favorites. I was just sharing this scripture with someone the other day. Yet amid all these things, we are more than conquerors and gain a surpassing victory 
through him who loved us. And the thing I love so much about this verse is that it says we are more than, more than that. We, I mean, it's great to be victorious. It's great to overcome. It's great to be a conqueror. It's It's an exhilarating feeling when you're playing some kind of game or you're watching a game and in that last second, that last moment, a point is scored and you barely won and you're still very excited because you have the victory. But when you go out and there's a significant defeat, you win the game by 20 points, whatever kind of game it is, pick a game. You're more than just beat that other team. You, you took it up a level. You're more than that. Your stats are going to be much better than the stats of the team you just significantly beat. So we're more than conquerors over circumstances, over the enemy, over any difficulty that we're facing in our life that we grab onto what God's trying to do in that situation, having an ear to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying, very difficult to do sometimes, removing our heart, removing our flesh from the situation, and truly hearing God. And a lot of times, to be more than conquerors takes a lot of humility. We have to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to what God is saying and doing. And we will be that more than conqueror. We will be victorious. He rights wrongs if we let him. See, everything, we have to grant permission to the Lord. We have to grant permission to God. We have to grant permission to the Holy Spirit. He rights wrongs if we let him. That word let means give permission to. He makes the old new If we let him, if we give permission, if we yield, if we trust, if we release. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, Jesus himself said, See, I make all things new. Record this, for these sayings are faithful and true. Write it down. Mark my words. That's what he's saying when he says, record this. He makes all things new if we let him. God is not a God of, oh, you made your bed. Now you have to lie in it. Did you ever hear that phrase as a kid? You're stuck. Too bad. Just like we wouldn't do that with our own children. One thing we will do when they reach a certain age, we let them come to the end of themselves at different times or they just won't understand, they just won't learn, they just won't grow. And sometimes when we're missing it, when we're getting off course, when we don't think God should do it the way he's doing it and we turn around or we head in a different direction or we run, he's going to let us get to the end of ourselves. He may even allow circumstances and situations to come into our life to get us to the end of ourselves that we're so frustrated that we turn back to him, like is what happened with Jonah. He ran, he tried to hide, he tried to escape. He ends up in the belly of the whale. 
He is at the end of himself at this point. This is when he cries out to God. So sometimes that has to happen in our lives, but God is not going to just leave us in a messy bed. He's not gonna do that. That's not how he works. He always gives us another opportunity. He always redirects us or gets us back on course or turns us around or propels us forward. You know, you have to have your ear to the Lord and understand which direction he is sending you in for sure. So a couple of questions we can ask ourselves with like in regard to Jonah and our situations, what kind of disaster can our second chance thwart off? So if we yield to the second chance God is giving us in a situation like Jonah, now if Jonah didn't cry out, would he have died in the belly's whale? If he didn't finally yield, If he didn't yield to what God was desiring him to do, where he was assigning him to be, saying what he was assigning him to say, whether Jonah thought the people were deserving or not, which I don't think he ever came to that place, but he begrudgingly cried out and obeyed God. But what if he didn't yield? What would have been his end game? What would have been the final story? We don't know because he chose to in that place of, I would say, intervention by God, he cried out. He was now willing in his desperation to obey. Even our second chances will require obedience. And one thing for sure with Jonah, he was very self-focused. He did not cry out to God in the belly of the whale because he was grieved in his heart for the people of Nineveh. He cried out because he was in the belly of a whale. That's why. He was in distress personally, and he was delivered from the belly of the whale because he cried out in his distress. It says in Jonah chapter 2, verse 7, when my soul fainted, I earnestly and seriously remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. In response to that cry, the Lord caused the whale to vomit Jonah out onto dry land. And then right away, the Lord speaks to Jonah in chapter three, verse two, and tells him, arise and go to Nineveh and preach and cry out to it the preaching that I tell you. So what does Jonah do this time? He arises and he heads to Nineveh. He's not playing around this time. And this is something that's interesting. God even made him work for it because, of course, God could have caused that whale to vomit Jonah out right on the shores of Nineveh. But that did not take place. Instead, there was a three-day journey The whale vomited Jonah out of his belly onto dry land, three days journey away from Nineveh. Now you have to wonder, why did God do that? What was his reasoning? Maybe this was like a time out for Jonah. Maybe maybe God God was saying, I want you to think about the fact that I came to you already and spoke this and already told you to arise and go to Nineveh. 
And instead, you rose up and you fleed, right? You ran and you caused trouble for people along the way, even of your path of running. And I want you to think about that on your three-day journey, your three-day trek to Nineveh. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know, it's just a thought. That did happen and I have wondered why, when God easily could have placed him out anywhere. I actually researched it and it was about 375 miles away. So he certainly didn't walk. Not quite sure how he got there, but it was a journey. And Jonah had to get himself to Nineveh now. He had to respond to the word of the Lord and now he had to get himself there. And there's a heart issue going on here. Remember I said Jonah was very self-focused. He was not obeying God out of compassion for Nineveh. There was no compassion here. He was actually still angry God was going to spare them. Isn't it interesting? And I'm going to show you a little more of his self-focused heart. Let me say this first. Jonah enters the city of Nineveh, and he cries out the word of the Lord to the people. And actually, the word that he's bringing to them, he actually wants this to happen. And he's saying to them in chapter 3, at verse 4, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, this is what Jonah thought the people deserved, right? They didn't deserve God's grace and God's mercy in Jonah's eyes. But the people of Nineveh, they responded how God knew they were going to respond. And they cried out to God and they believed in God in verse five. And they proclaimed a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. For word came to the king of Nineveh of all that had happened to Jonah and his terrifying message from God. And he arose from the throne and he laid his robe aside and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. He humbled himself. I talked about it in the beginning. It takes humility to be given another chance, to step in that other chance. Nineveh is being given another chance. Actually, both Jonah and Nineveh at this point are being given another chance. Don't miss that. It's twofold there, really. And down in verse seven of chapter three, it says, and he made proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And I love this. It's almost like a, let's do this just in case God's going to be merciful. Just in case. Because he says in verse 9, who can tell God may turn and revoke his sentence against us and turn away from his fierce anger so that we perish not. Now, remember earlier, I had said, what kind of disaster can our second chance thwart? That's that's what the king's saying here. He's saying maybe, just maybe if we do this and we turn from our disobedient, that's what evil, evil is anything that goes against what God has said. It's not really how we look at evil. But just in case, I love that. Verse nine, who can tell maybe? 
Like God's clearly speaking to us and we clearly have an opportunity to get this thing right. Let's get it right in our hearts. And that actually ends up being the difference between Nineveh and Jonah. And Jonah kind of thought he was high and mighty and he thought the people of Nineveh did not deserve the mercy of God. And in his judgmental way, he had pride and the quote unquote evil people of Nineveh responded in humility and turned to the Lord. And God responded to that in verse 10 of chapter three. God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God revoked his sentence of evil that he had said he would do and he did not do it for he was comforted and eased concerning them. So when we are given a second chance, we can even change God's heart of action toward us. I've heard people say, prayer doesn't really change anything. You know, whatever's gonna be is gonna be, um, you know, this predestined thing, I guess, in life, but lack of not going down that whole theology right now. There's been times in the Bible where you see contending and praying and seeking the Lord, seeking God, seeking his Uh, mercy, seeking his grace, seeking his compassion, has turned his heart. Abraham did it regarding Lot and regarding Sodom and Gomorrah when God revealed to him his plan of destruction. We're not going to get into all that today, but he did do it. Go go look it up. God's like, I got to tell Abraham my plans. And Abraham's, really, would you destroy everyone? What about if there's only 15? What about if there's only 10 righteous? What about just five righteous? You know, and I'm way paraphrasing here, but God's like, yeah, you're right. That's what's happening in Nineveh. Now, here's the kicker. Jonah's aggravated about it. (laughs) That's pretty intense. He's aggravated that the people of Nineveh have done the right thing. And you can see this in chapter four, verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. See what kind of self-focus I'm talking about? He did not think the people of Nineveh deserved the goodness of God. He was busy judging them on yesterday. We can't do that. And sometimes we won't turn back to a thing. We won't go back and do something, restore something God told us to do, because we don't think that the people involved in that situation deserve it. We cannot harden our hearts in this way. So Jonah says to God in verse two, it says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray you, O Lord, is not this just what I said when I was still in my country? He's aggravated. He's like, see, I knew you were gonna do this. I knew you were gonna forgive them. I knew you were gonna restore them. That is why I fled to Tarnish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And when sinners turn to you and meet your conditions, you revoke the sentence of evil against them. Well, praise God he does for all of us. What is Jonah perfect? I mean, this is a pretty powerful thing that's going on here. It's like, see, I knew you were gonna do that. And when sinners turn to you and meet your conditions, It's not like Nineveh was still in their sin. They fasted, they lamented, they turned from their evil ways. And Jonah's over there in the corner still looking down his nose at him in judgment, in arrogance, in a haughtiness. 
Verse three, therefore, now, O Lord, I beseech you, take my life for me. He wants to die over this. That is intense. And that's kind of a representation of our hearts and how when we won't let go of something, when we truly don't want to see others restored, when we truly don't want to see others walking in freedom, it's going to kill us inside. And we can't walk in that place. We can't walk in that way. So he goes on to say, for it is better for me to die than to live. All because the people of Nineveh have been restored and God showed mercy and grace to them. Verse four, then said the Lord, do you do well to be angry? Like, is this a good idea, Jonah? Is this really worth how you're feeling inside right now? No, it's so not. You would think Jonah would have been overjoyed, but he's not. He is not happy about this. And it's amazing. He's not even not happy. He's angry about it. And it just blows my mind. I can't, I can't wrap my mind around it. He was angry that God was extending forgiveness to somebody he didn't think deserved forgiveness. Protesting the very attributes of God. He's like, see, I knew you were gracious. See, I knew you were slow to anger. <laughs> I knew you were merciful but he's aggravated in those things. But he probably wasn't aggravated when he needed God to be gracious, when he needed God to be slow to anger, when he needed God to be merciful. When he asked Jonah in verse four, do you do well to be angry? That right there should have been a little red flag to Jonah that, hey, maybe being angry with God is an issue of my heart. Maybe I need to stop and check that. Maybe I need to repent. Maybe I need to do what the Ninevites just did. Maybe. Anytime God asks any of us a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he's trying to point our own hearts out to us. And that's what's going on here. But Jonah just, he's got the blinders on. He's aggravated. He can't see any of it. God is pointing it out directly to him and he can't see it. He's like, are you doing good to be angry in this? Jonah doesn't answer him as far as we can tell because it's not in the Bible. And God's being gentle with him here. He's trying to give him a moment to get a grip. (laughs) But in verse five, Jonah goes out of the city and he sits to the east of the city and he makes a booth there for himself and he sits under it in the shade. So he can basically, he wants to see what's gonna become of the city. And God, in his graciousness, in his mercy that Jonah was talking about to him a few minutes ago, prepares a gourd in verse six, and he makes it come up over Jonah. So he's giving him shade. He's providing a covering for him, even though Jonah is mad at God, with no right to be mad at God. Now, the self-focused Jonah is happy about this. He's happy about the shade covering. He probably is thinking, I deserve this. Of course, this is what God would do. (laughs) And God looks upon the heart. Of course, we always know this. Since Jonah is not embracing his second chance, he's not embracing his warning to step back for a minute. He's not embracing it at all. He's remaining angry. 
And God knows this because he looks upon the heart. So the very shade God covers, he's about to take away from Jonah. And it says that in verse seven of chapter four. But God prepared a cutworm when the morning dawned the next day and it smote the ground so that it withered, it being the gourd that was just providing the shade. I mean, he's paying the price here and he's not paying the price for disobedience now because he did correct that. He's paying the price for being angry in his heart that God tried pointing out to him that he just basically didn't want to take heed. And so, so the sun rises in verse eight and God prepares a vehement east wind and the sun beats upon the head of Jonah and he faints and he wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. So he's just bouncing back and forth here. And now here we go again in verse nine. God asks him again, do you do well to be angry for the loss of the gourd? In other words, is this your best choice here, Jonah? It's kind of like when we ask our kids the question the second time, you know, are you sure you want to do that? Or we give them the look like, hmm, you might want to rethink that. That's kind of what I picture going on with God here. And Jonah's response is powerful. He says, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Wow. He's not going to relent to the Lord at all. Then said the Lord, you have had pity on the gourd for which you have not labored, nor made it grow. You're feeling bad. You're upset about the gourd. You're, ex you're upset about your shade being pulled away. What about the salvation of all the people in Nineveh? What about that, Jonah? Can you stop looking at yourself for a minute to see the bigger picture? Can you do that, Jonah? He says that in verse, continues to say that in verse 10. You're upset about the gourd, which you didn't labor, which came up at night and perished in the night. But should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, which is a, more than 120,000 persons? Wow, that many souls. Jonah begrudgingly delivered a message to, and the Lord spared the people. And Jonah was angry about that. Now, here's a crazy thought I'm going to end on. Jonah was really more like the worm that came, that God caused to come at night, right? The worm that came and smote the gourd. Jonah was more like that. See, that gourd was providing a good thing for Jonah, like God was providing a good thing to Nineveh. Jonah wanted to be the worm and eat that up and pull that away from them. And so God's trying to show him here, this is what you wanted to do, what was just done with this gourd. What he wanted to happen to the Ninevites, right? He wanted them to be basically destroyed by God, uh, was basically happening to him in the heat of the day without the sun, I mean, without the shade and with the wind. Now he just wants to die. And he begs God for the second time. And he's angry with God again. But as always, God has the final word. And in this last couple of verses in Jonah chapter four, he addresses the heart of the matter. Because like I've said so many times, it comes down to the heart of the matter. And he was more compassionate to the plant that had died than he wanted God to be towards the 120,000 people that needed a word of warning before the Lord. That's powerful. And so I just want to encourage you today to have your ear to the Lord, to understand that sometimes he's bringing us a second chance and we have to take heed, we have to pay attention to it. 
He's not bringing us back to a place of failure. He's bringing us back to a place of fulfillment that was not met. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is new every morning. And as a matter of fact, they follow us all the days of our life. But what are we doing with them? Where are we applying it in our life? What's our heart saying? What's our heart, what's God trying to show us of our heart in certain situations we find ourselves in? God will always make a way for things to be made right, for things to be corrected. He did it with Nineveh. He tried doing it with Jonah. Two different responses. All of them came down to the matter of the heart. Let's be sure we don't ever hold back on someone else or hold back on a place we're supposed to be, a thing we're supposed to do, a word we're supposed to deliver out of pride, even out of self-righteousness. This stuff hinders us from being sure we are on the path, in the direction, on the road, however you want to term it, of what God has us doing in the moment he has us doing it. Let's pay attention to those second questions like we saw him ask Jonah twice. He told him twice to go to Nineveh. Once he disobeyed, once he obeyed. He asked him twice, is it well for you to be angry? This time Jonah wouldn't relent the second time the question was asked. Let's walk in a humbleness in our heart that anytime God asks us a question, we pay attention and we look inside our own heart to see what the condition of our heart is for the situation God is highlighting to us. 